0: Finally caught up with Bruce Connie. It had been decades since we spoke, so we spoke a lot, and as a result, we had to break this up into two parts. This is going to be part two, and I started by asking Bruce uh, if he's been touring lately. You know,
1: I had some people that wanted to bring me a few times, but I've kind of just haven't really. Uh, between Al McKay and Tower, I, I kind of and I kind of lost my, uh, you know. Desire to go on the road again because they just like, um, you know, did these burnout tours all the time. And then I I used to go to Canada every month, and I actually went to Sicily a couple of times mm-hmm. and played with some uh, amateur band leader over there, and that turned out to be a nightmare. He paid me well, but mm-hmm. it you know it was one of those things where he had gigs and but. He he was an amateur, so you had to have you had to work for an amateur leader who couldn't count. So he he would cut off your solos and in, in odd like the seventeenth bar of the solo, and he wouldn't let you lead your. I said I, I said please just let me in my own solo. I'll cue you right in. Right, he just wouldn't allow it. You know, that's
0: bad. That's not amateur. That's yeah. just painful. That's terrible. Yeah yeah I agree with you though traveling that kind of traveling would be bad what you need to do is come and do like three festivals spaced out a week each or something to have enough money to do it but because you know those audiences are so into it do you go through periods where you don't even look at a guitar for like months or not
1: well this has been I I had like a, a month here where um I was having a bunch of problems and so I, and I wasn't playing in a band, so I—that was the longest time I ever went without touching a guitar. But now, I try to, even if I'm not playing, I like—I I try to pick it up once or twice a week, just so I won't feel like it's a foreign object when I pick it up. You
0: know. Right. I really, really like Robin Ford. I think that he's a great compromise between knowing jazz and and harmon- harmony and stuff. But he plays kind of plays the blues and funky. I really like what he does. So that's a kind of I follow more things like that. That's yeah,
1: I've, i i uh, I saw him live at the House of Blues in Chicago, and when my one of my band mates, this guy Tim Scott, was playing bass with him, mm-hmm. and yeah, I like him a lot too. He's a really nice I, guy. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's a nice guy. And then I I was always a, a fan of. Uh, the Crusaders, when Larry Carlton was with him too, because mm-hmm. we used to play opposite each other. A little story of we were in the dressing room, and then Sticks Hooper and uh, Larry and Joe Sample were going to sit in and jam on squib cakes. And Chuck Rainey was the bass player at that time, and Wilton Felder was playing sax. But so, anyway, uh, we're in there and, and I'm tuning up and I have one of those rolling disco shirts on, you know, kind of. And then I, and, uh, I'm, t- I take a drink of this orange juice and then accidentally Larry Carlton kind of, he bumps me a, by accident and a little drop of it goes on the front. And then, and then we kind of laughed. And then he goes, yeah, he goes, I always do that to the competition right before I get ready to jam. <laughs>
0: nice yeah he's he's cool he's cool too um speaking of uh you mentioned rhythm sections there's a there's an album by georgie fame it's an album with georgie fame and robin ford and will lee on bass and uh yes uh, steve gad will lee and steve gad i mean i listened to that in that album it's just mind-blowing that's how good that is and that's also kind of a mixture of uh, that's that's a typical kind of thing that Robin would play on. It's a mixture of uh, of a jazz and blues, and uh, Boz Skaggs is on that too. I'm sure you're pretty familiar with Boz. Yeah,
1: of course. In fact, I watched a video John Ferraro, the, a friend of mine, played drums in it, and he had a couple of black girls singing backup. It's a it's a DVD that he has out. Man, it just I forget the name of the guitar player, but he's real tasty and Bay Area guy. But the, yeah, those are some good stuff. There's a group that was uh, called Dirty Loops. Have you ever heard them?
0: No, I'm gonna write it down though. No.
1: Yeah, check them out. They're like a a, a trio, a European trio, mm-hmm. piano, bass, and drums. Dirty Loops, and they they're they're interesting. It's like jazz pop music in a way. Yeah. It's in, you know, but this day and age, you don't hear, you don't hear like a there. There are no steely dance and there there aren't. You know, the the record companies have kind of not allowed the people to break out of the formula. You know, Coleman and I had a uh, a, a song called um, uh, on the We Came to Play album. Okay, and uh, that song. a a gangster rapper named rick ross took a little tiny piece of it and uh put looped it in one of his tunes and it's hardly distinguishable Mm -hmm. but now when you sample somebody's track you become 50 percent writer of the tune so you get half the mechanicals which the mechanicals are about 9.8 cents a song now or something. So anyway, we got, you know, 4.45 or whatever, but it already had sold, but, and they were trying to find us, um, and find, you know, find out which song he didn't, he led them to the wrong song. And then Ronnie Beck, uh, is the one that told me about it. What
0: was the. I have a professional record, because I got some tapes of uh, the band and all that. I think it was Jump Street, and there's a tape of uh, of Time Pays You Back. But you guys actually did a recording in studio of that, where you, by the way, great solo by you in that thing. Uh, but what was huh. that? Is that the album that never came out?
1: Yes. there's. Uh, um, it was made uh, in the Automat, which was David Rubinson's mm-hmm. studio. Right. The old Columbia Studio that's on Folsom Street there in San Francisco, mm-hmm. across from Studio Instrument Rentals, but there was an engineer that's done tons of shit named Fred Katero, and he engineered that, and uh, it was all done, you know, twenty-four track, two-inch, but in those days, the automation was was in the board, and there was a television, like a little computer monitor. Mm-hmm. And so when you, the previous mix you had up, you just punched this thing and all the faders automatically moved into position and EQs and everything just, it went right to your mix.
0: I think that was like a Neve board or something like that, right? That was one of the.
1: I don't, I'm not sure if it was or not, but I I know that that whatever they did to automate it, you know, that I remember it was, it was one of the first ones that had that. And um...
0: yeah, that system started in something around nineteen mid seventies, I'd say, because I was working for a company that was doing something similar. It wasn't for audio; it was for control of something else, but it was a very similar idea. So I think that was the big thing. Um, anyway, that who owns that material? Because that's the way you know, that, that never came out. Yeah, I
1: I thought about putting that out. I have all the the. The masters of that are only on cassettes. Mm -hmm. And so I transferred them to disc, but, and they, they sound good. In fact, I was going to put that together and send one to Victor
0: and. He amazed people when he played. I I didn't experience too much. When the Tower of Power must have been like the peak of his playing, though, I'm guessing.
1: Well, you know what? He, um, I got him to play on my last CD one song. And it was that drummer, Les Faulkner, that I like, and uh, and he played uh, a funk version of Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Oh, I have
0: that, yeah. I mean, I heard it and have a tape of it somewhere. Have a little yeah, there.
1: that's, and
0: he, it was,
1: you know, he just bought a bass and practiced for about a month, mm-hmm. and he was right back in his regular realm, like he never stopped.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Well, he's an athlete, or was, and uh, yeah. part of the mechanics of the way he played depended on that athletic precision, um, but I listen to him even today. I listen to the stuff we did with Sugarcane, which was totally you know, crazy, unorchestrated, don't-ever-play-the-same-thing-twice stuff, and uh, Victor's feel... Uh, most bass players can't get the thing he did on a shuffle, which is just the simple... You know, dun, 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 dun. on the bass, but on the bass, it's not easy to play that with the right expression. Anybody can play it, it's triplets, but it's really hard yeah. to play that the way Victor played it and just the way he placed the little extra riffs. It's hard to do that without overplaying. So he's, I also regret him not playing. As I watch the Buzzy Feet and thing, I'm thinking, Bruce should do this exact thing. That would be fantastic. You do a DVD with just. It, talking about how you approached certain riffs. I don't yeah. I don't have his DVD, so I don't know how extensive it is or how much work it would be to do. But even if you just did a couple of lessons on YouTube, you could do a couple of just short videos even. A lot of people do that, and it, it puts your shit out there. That's the best way to go. I made one
1: teaching DVD, and it, um, it came out okay. I put a few of the Tower of Power rhythm stuff on there that, you couldn't really distinguish it all from the you know from listening to the records because mm-hmm. it but when when i actually looked at the you know the stuff that i was playing on there cuz i used to have to watch guys try to emulate what i recorded because they're still playing the same almost 95% of their playlist is mm-hmm. off of the albums that i recorded
0: right
1: and the uh, the thing that that I developed that not a lot of guys spent time doing was playing rhythm
0: guitar. Yeah, no, I mean you're the you're the poster guy for, for that uh, for that field. I mean, uh, and what's funny is that in a big band it's a real special thing, just like Freddie Green was in big bands. Uh, you're playing in big funk bands like Tower. How many people were in Tower anyway? About Twelve.
1: Well, there was 10 and sometimes 11
0: yeah. when we had percussion. So. so, I mean, that's complicated because, yeah, the stuff is orchestrated and written, obviously, but guitar is almost normally almost superfluous with all those horns, but in the case of Tower of Power, and it's one of the things that made it great, was that the guitar was also a, a basic part of the rhythm section in a way. So you wouldn't have been Tower without that guitar, obviously. Yeah,
1: when I first got that gig, there was no keyboard player. So every track that I played on, I played, uh, two tracks, you know what I mean? I do a mm-hmm. one with rhythm and one with fills. Mm-hmm. And so later when I got, when Chester came in the band, he was such a good player that, but uh, he was easy to play with because he listened. So, If you were going to fill in a certain spot, he'd leave that hole for you or vice versa. You know, but he played such good shit, I had to leave a lot of space for him because I think, well, I don't want to play anything there. That was just perfect, what he just played.
0: But that's the toughest part of playing the kind of music that we play, meaning, you know, where you're actually playing and not just repeating something that somebody else wrote, uh, is... Listening and leaving the holes. The holes are the whole thing, especially yes. in things like funk. Especially, well, even if you just took your rhythm guitar track, it's the holes that make the whole thing. Really, though, there's yes. accents and the notes, obviously, but the holes are some of the most impressive stuff. If we, if there weren't any silences, it'd be really weird. I mean, it'd just be then it'd be rock and roll, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know that uh I got a lot of that rhythm guitar playing from two guys. One was named Jimmy Nolan, who played with James Brown. And then the other guy, which I didn't know who he was when I was copying him, that was Al McKay, was the guitar player in Dyke and the Blazers
0: music. Really? Interesting.
1: Yes. So all those Let a Woman Be a Woman and a Man Be a Man, all that old Dyke and the Blazers recordings, uh, that's all Al McKay it's Al McKay and then this drummer named James Gatson who I later played with a lot of gigs and uh this guy Gene Dunlop and so they were actually the the guy that uh, I was a fan of the Paul Butterfield band when when they had horns I liked them earlier on too but when he had the horn section he and Buzzy Featon was in the band right. A guy that replaced Buzzy was named Ralph Wash. Mm-hmm. He was a black guy. And he was the guy that turned me on to Dyke and the Blazers. And then I remember coming back to Fresno and bringing all those
0: 45s on original stock music. Well, you know, may know that uh, I know, you, you know that Sugarcane was part of Don and Dewey and that they did a lot of things like uh, I'm leaving it all up to you. They wrote that and they were. Yes, I something. remember. They were paid something like 50 bucks each, some ridiculous sum of money. And uh, I talked to Dewey a couple of years before he passed, and I said, can't you, isn't there some way to get a lawyer on that? Because that song has been played millions of times. It's one of the most played songs ever in the history of music, literally. Uh, BMI said, I saw a headline saying it had been played a million times on the radio, uh, and, you know, it's all been covered a million times by everybody. But the point is, uh, they never were able to get a cent. The lawyer told them that there was just no good way to do it, that it wasn't worth pursuing. So that was, in those days, you just, you know, somebody just got paid for it. It was a buyout, which maybe that's still legal, but maybe everybody's just too wise to, to do it now.
1: But that's horrible. Uh, yeah, there are two people... Learn the business now because of all those pre- stories like that. But, you know, I thought I was under the assumption that when Donnie and Marie put it out in, the, uh, in that there was some airplane money that uh, Sugarcane was able to get. I didn't know that he didn't get anything for that. I thought there's uh, there's something there. There was I, even though they they didn't have they had to have their publishing to get the you know the BMI or ASCAP but
0: uh, well they may they may have gotten a little chump change here and there but I know that they didn't get the major part of the money that they would have gotten if they would have not signed this agreement and it was so, there's stuff about Farmer John and all that this was back in the real early days and. It, I don't know if Don, you know, maybe he just needed $25 for a bag or something. You know what I'm saying? Who knows what he was into? And um, so Dewey passed away three, four years ago. But uh, it's just, you know, people are kind of disappearing right and left now. I wanted to ask you also, if you, the phone rang tomorrow and it was somebody big looking for a guitar player, who would you want that to be? They're looking for your sound, so it's something that obviously would fit. Can you think of anything that's out there today that would be, that would blow your mind?
1: Um, let's see. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough question. Maybe to do Stevie Wonder's gig.
0: Yeah. That
1: would- or to maybe to play a few gigs with um, Blood Sweat and Tears, maybe or.
0: Are they still doing it?
1: Yeah, they're out there. I think David Clayton Thomas they use different versions i know some of the guys that are doing it now what they're doing is a there's a lot of tribute bands out sure. there and but what they're and, but the, a lot of the bands are going in and doing casino because the indian casinos have kind of revived uh, the baby boomer bands right that's right and made a big circuit for them and you know and there's good money in because they got they cuz they got the casino money
0: well, they make so, you offer you can't refuse too.
1: Yeah, I mean Tower of Power was was playing, you know maybe seventy percent of the circuit was was them. Mm-hmm. I, I remember opening for Tom Jones and he, what a cool band he had and what a nice guy he was, you know. Mm-hmm. And he actually that last album that I did with him, he he sang on it, and uh, Sam from Sam and Dave sang a tune on it wow. also. Oh, it was, was a co- is that
0: an album he did with a bunch of different duet uh different artists. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that.
1: It was a and it was all cover songs. It was a, you know, it was when uh, M- Michael McDonald had done one of his he did a couple cover song uh mm-hmm. cover albums. And so then the 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 suits, you know, decided, "Hey, we'll give you Tower of Power needs to do a that kind of album, you know." but actually i do have a song that i wrote and tower of power has already recorded it so when they've been recording stuff and they probably got two albums in the can now and so they'll they'll come out with something but they they keep sending me updates on the song and it really sounds great so i think they they're they'll probably put it out um
0: who's the who's the main force behind that band or not to say who owns the name, but who's the major, who's the colonel of that band? Is it the same the beginning? Yeah, Emilio Castillo. Well, things are moving in a different direction also. I mean, they've been moving in a really good direction for a long time, where the middlemen, middle, the people in the middle, like the record companies, a lot of... I mean, there are cases where record companies have taken an artist and developed them and made them into something, like in the old days they used to do. But... Today, it's more to do with commercial product, and it a lot of times doesn't have much to do with music at all. Uh, but the thing that's a little scary right now, the battle being fought, has to do with streaming music, which I don't do personally. I'm not interested in it. But Spotify and stuff like that, where your tunes can be on there, and you get... Actually, I am on it, and I think I got a point oh oh two cents last month or something for... Uh, you know, not that my stuff is that big anyway, but the point is that they don't pay much even to big artists. And you probably seen headlines with people who are refusing. Uh, there was a woman, I can't remember her name, who totally refused to be on any of that, for example, because she just... I think it was famous. Win. Well, there was, right. yeah, that's one. That wasn't the, one I, the first one I was thinking of, Zoe something, but yes. In fact, Zoe was, I'm confusing it, it was YouTube different thing same problem different story but yeah Taylor Swift so I don't even know where that's at now but that's another little danger is that uh for certain models of economy you know certain types of groups that's all great because it gives you exposure it's like playing for free in the club you remember the days when they used people used to go play free to get exposure and then maybe get a gig out of it paid later that that whole the club thing you were mentioning that playing six nights a week. I mean, I started playing six nights a week when I was a kid. And uh, that was great. That's how you learn how to play. And some of the older yes. people went out to Vegas and you were talking about that. And it's exactly the same thing. Then they learn how to play more music. They learn how to read and stuff like that. There's almost none of that today. I don't know if Las Vegas even has live music of house band type stuff. I don't even know if that's... They the-
1: do, but it's not... In the, in the 80s through the... up to about 2000... They used to have three shifts. They had one that started about noon to, to, you know, to 6 p.m., then right. 6 p.m. Right. to midnight, and then midnight to 4 a.m. Every time they switched technology, when they went from vinyl to CD, there was a, a flip in, in, uh, the royalties because everybody re-upped to that technology. And then now it's the, the
0: downloads are
1: starting to come in.
0: Right. I think I got a last check I got from BMI last year. It might have been something like seven dollars and thirty cents, but it was only for a couple of tunes, so that's not all that surprising. Probably Pure Food and Drug Act. Yeah, see we're the... big in Germany. <laughs> Maybe I should go find out if I can get a gig in Germany, based on <laughs> being the only living member besides Victor. Yeah, there's still a pretty vibrant scene in the Bay Area, but you don't visit up there, I guess. When you go well, I, yeah,
1: I I, uh, I basically. The the uh, the stuff that I have to do is still in L.A. and then now in Fresno, you know, because that's where my family and all my cousins live. So when I get there, there's um, there's no real, you know. I kind of get busy doing just visiting everybody, uh, and I usually hang about a month, and then that's about it, you know. And I and I don't I don't drive around too much. To do gigs or get too involved, I did. I did that one in Portland because they kept putting stuff together for me up there, and it and it worked out good every time. So, uh, the Bay is quieted down. There's not, the peninsula doesn't have much of a club scene anymore. But there's you know there's some stuff there. I know Nate makes most of his living off of teaching.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: The, yeah, he has a. He turned his basement into like a group classroom, you know.
0: And I'm and sure he's he, really good at it too. Yeah, because he's, he's and a great he's, he's got a good personality too.
1: Yeah, he's he he really has excelled in that. And then he, you know, he plays a the typical thing. I think he plays in a bunch of wedding bands and he stuff plays like a lot that. Of
0: singers, I, on Facebook you can see that uh, he plays with various uh, he, he's. Done, you know, one nighters with different singers. I see that all the time. Yeah, he's still playing. Yeah. And Freddie, Freddie plays a, several times a month, maybe once a week even. But they must be like real small blues gigs where a bunch of people come and sit in. Maybe they're jam sessions even. But he must be getting a little some little taste of something uh, in in doing that. And other than that, I mean from knowing, from getting in touch with him last time I was there and the f- whole Facebook thing, which I'm not big on, but I'm there to talk to people like you and Fred. Uh, I see that um, a lot of the guys that play with Freddy are also playing. So I'm starting to see, you see all that stuff on Facebook because everybody promotes their gigs, right? So it right. kind of looks like there's a lot of shit happening, but uh, maybe there's not, I don't know. There's, it seems to me that the whole club thing has seen its peak years ago, and that there's much less chance to play in clubs now.
1: Well, one of the one of the things that created that was the uh, tough drinking laws on you know drinking and driving laws. You don't go out. Yeah, they don't go out, and then also the now that you know the designated driver kind of thing that that happens a little bit, but it's not like it was people will just they you know they'll go on youtube and listen to bands or they exactly. or, or they'll get one concert that a big one that comes through town and then they'll buy tickets for that and then, you know it's, they don't they don't go to local clubs as much and listen, and see the local bands
0: and yet they do go out to like disco type i don't know if you call them discos but the clubs that have all the different you know recorded music and dj's yes I don't know what that's called today. It used to be, it was disco in like the seventies, but <laughs>
1: right. But that was just a name for it, and and uh, then they had video disco, and then now they have these guys that just dance around, and they're big in Vegas, and they make all kinds of money spinning records. But and they actually consider themselves artists.
0: Well, they cost yeah. more than a band if you want to hire yeah. one for your party. And yeah. I'm not complaining, by the way. I'm just saying that the times have really changed a lot, and that. There's uh, there's no place to play for people who are just starting out. Almost, I mean, even free, yeah. it's hard to play. Very tough. Yeah. Well,
1: we you know when we came up, we had uh, there was teenage dances right. every weekend all over, and so we played those, and then then as soon as we were, I think when I was seventeen, I got my driver's license altered with a, a guy putting changed
0: it with an exacto knife
1: and then so that I could play it eras
0: yeah well that was quite a story what happened there we won't get into that but uh, yeah
1: that's but a, that's pretty, impressive,
0: pretty impressive pretty impressive